Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. this 11th Sunday after Pentecost is found in the first book of Kings chapter 19 beginning at verse 9. He that is Elijah came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord suddenly came to him saying, why are you here Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, but the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking to take my life. Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is passing by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a soft, whispering voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. Then a voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, but the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the wilderness of Damascus. When you get there, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. And you will also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Maholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have prepared in Israel 7,000 whose knees have not yet bent to Baal, and whose lips have not kissed him. The word of the Lord. We turn our attention now to our second lesson, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Because those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then will we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him? Who will bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, was raised to life, is the one who is at God's right hand, and who is also interceding for us. What will separate us from the love of God? Will trouble, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powerful forces, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter, beginning at the 22nd verse. Immediately, Jesus urged the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed the crowd, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. By then, the boat was quite a distance from shore, being pounded by the waves because the wind was against it. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and cried out in fear, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. Peter stepped down from the boat, walked on the water, and went toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he was afraid. As he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed sons and daughters of God Most High, brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, fellow recipients, of the Holy Spirit who has created and sustained faith in our hearts through word and sacrament. The account was related to me decades ago by a woman who at the time when it happened was a little girl who had asked her father, who I also knew, she had said when she was little, Daddy, how could Jesus walk on the water? 
And sadly and disappointingly, the father told his little daughter, well, Jesus knew where the sandbars were. And when I heard that, although the woman was grown, and like I said, the man I knew as well, I lost all respect for that man who purported to be a Christian, but yet at a young age for the little daughter, had an opportunity to teach that child who Jesus is and what Jesus had done. Unfortunately, that man taught his daughter Jesus was just a wise man. Dismissing the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, dismissing the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, or as the disciples said, as we look to the last verse of the portion of God's word for, the consider, for our consideration today, from Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. We're going to focus on Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33 today. And it's a good reminder for us all, myself included, that we focus on Jesus. We focus on Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. Now this account in the book of Matthew occurs right after the feeding of the more than 5,000 families. If you recall, Jesus had been teaching the people his heart, literally his inner organs, his Bowels were moved because he had some, such compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He healed many of them. The day was growing late. The disciples said, you got to send them home. They're hungry. And Jesus said, you feed them. They only had a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And Jesus performed a miracle. And gave them enough food that there were more leftovers than there was food to begin with. Before Jesus created that miracle, or did that miracle to feed the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The disciples saw this, among many other miracles that Jesus had performed in their presence, showing clearly he is the Son of God, for only the Son of God, only God himself could do such things. Mere men, mere humans could not do such things. But Jesus wanted some alone time. He wanted some time to go up on the mountain to pray. So he sent his disciples ahead in the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. And we're told he went up on the mountaintop to pray, which Jesus often did. And then we're told, when evening came, Jesus was there alone, and by then the boat was quite a distance from shore, 
being pounded by the waves because the wind was against it. The English doesn't quite do the Greek credit there. This boat literally was being tortured by the waves. Remember, at least four of the disciples were fishermen. They knew how to handle a boat on the Sea of Galilee, but this was not just a rocking of the boat. The waves were just pounding and torturing this boat. And we're told it was quite... Um, the boat was quite a distance from shore. It was not near the shore. It was out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The wind was against it. It was being pounded by the waves, tortured by the waves and the disciples there in the boat. And it was about the fourth watch of the night, which means somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. And it was true then as it is now. It's often the darkest just before the dawn. So it's dark. The winds are against them. The weather is horrid. Many of the disciples are not fishermen. Remember Matthew? He's the author of this gospel. He's recounting this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he's in the boat. He wasn't a fisherman. He's not used to this. But it was even bad for the ones who were fishermen. And then, in the midst of that, what do they see? Jesus came toward them walking on the sea. Matthew tells us it's Jesus. We know it's Jesus. He was doing something that no human could do. He was walking on the water. Matthew tells us that clearly, not finding where the sandbars were, no. He was walking toward them on the water in the, you know, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. This was the deep water because he is the Son of God. He's performing a miracle. But what do the disciples think? When the disciples saw him walk on the sea, they were terrified and cried out in fear. It is a ghost. The word that, the, that Matthew uses there is where we get our English word phantasm. A specter, a spirit, a ghost, an apparition. Something unworldly, but they didn't think it was Jesus. Their minds went immediately to something spooky, something terrifying. Oh, they were terrified. They cried out in fear. In fact, the word that Matthew uses there means unintelligible sounds. I'd like to take you back. Many of you as parents or grandparents or as aunts and uncles have witnessed a child Maybe, if you remember far back enough, you yourself as a child, having a terrifying nightmare and waking up just screaming on intelligible words. That's what these disciples are doing. 
There's no sense to what they're doing. They are scared out of their minds. They're not saying anything. They're just screaming. They have no idea what's going on. And if you think back, hearing a child in that way, you know they are terrified and they need comfort. What does Jesus do? What did you do as a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt or uncle? What did you want done to you as a child when your father came in the room? I would hope and pray you all had loving parents. Loving parents that would comfort you. Maybe some of you did. Maybe there was a father or two that said, quit your crying or I'll give you something to cry about. I hope and pray none of you had a childhood like that. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't scold them. He didn't deride them. He didn't say, don't you know better? Haven't you seen the miracles? No. He says, first of all, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. It's akin to a father scooping up that little child who is screaming in their bed, who saw something truly terrifying in their nightmares, and holding them tight, and saying to them, it's okay, I'm here, do not be afraid. That is what Jesus is saying to them, in a loving, says, do not be afraid. Why? Could Jesus have scolded them? They, after all, were his disciples. They were his hand-picked apostles. They had, they had sat at the teacher's feet. They had seen the miracles. But scolding them was not going to help just like scolding a child, having woken up screaming from a nightmare, scolding them is not going to help them. Jesus knows what they need. They need that comfort. They need that assurance. It is I. It's not a ghost. It's not a specter. It's not a phantasm. Take courage. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And the beauty of it is, not only are these words of comfort, these are words that give faith. Because these are words of the Savior. This is the very word of God, through which the Holy Spirit works. These 
gospel words. These comfort-giving words are also life-giving words from the Savior. And Jesus is asking them, pleading with them, comforting them, and keeping their focus back on him. A wonderful reminder for the disciples. Also a wonderful reminder for us. And then Peter speaks up. <laughs> it seems like it's always Peter, isn't it? Peter at the Last Supper when Jesus says, guys, you're all going to betray me. And Peter says, no, 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 not me. And Peter is addressed by the Lord, and the Lord says, yeah, Peter, even before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And we know how that plays out. And it does happen in the courtyard at the court of the high priest. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, not necessarily the best way to start that one out, is it? Now, just to make sure, Lord, that if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Is Peter's focus really on the Lord? Or is it on Peter? But the Lord indulges him. The Lord knows what's going to happen. The Lord knows Peter's going to see the waves and the wind. And he's going to start focusing on that. And he's going to start sinking. But the Lord even does this out of love. Not to scold Peter, but to teach Peter and us to keep the focus where it belongs, on Jesus. Jesus says, come. Peter stepped down from the boat, walked on the water. He was able to do that. The Lord gave him that ability. But when he saw the strong wind, he was afraid. And as he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. To be honest, Peter asked to be put into that position, and then he found himself in trouble, and then he turns to the Lord, and rightly so, and the Lord does save him. He stretches out his hand and brings Peter back into the boat. Peter does, or Jesus does say, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Not a harsh scolding of Peter, but a question meant not for Jesus to receive an answer, but a question meant for Peter to reflect on. Jesus knew the answer. He is the Son of God. He doesn't need an answer to the question. But then the disciples end this section of God's word when they're all together in the boat. Because the disciples say, after worship, while worshiping him, truly you are the Son of God. The focus is on Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and of course, what for the disciples he will do, for us, what he has done as well. 
especially on the cross and on the open tomb. Let's fast forward about 2,000 years to our present day. Do we find ourselves like the disciples sometimes? We do, don't we? We find ourselves in the turmoil of this world? We do. You don't have to watch a full half hour of the evening news to find it very depressing. It seems that every day it's coming unraveled more and more and more. And we can get caught up in that. I can too. Jesus told Matthew through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write these words. Remember, Matthew was one of those in the boat. He was one of those that cried out unintelligibly. He's one of those that cried out, it's a ghost. He's admitting to his own fear here. There's times when we admit to our own fear too. But what does Jesus say to us over and over and over in his word? He comes to us, doesn't he, in his word? He says to us again and again, do not be afraid. He doesn't do so scoldingly. He doesn't come down to us and say, you better stop being afraid. I told you once I loved you. Never. He comes to us out of love. He reminds us of the sacrifice on the cross, which he did out of love. He reminds us of sins forgiven. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we gather together, we hear from the altar, we confess our sins, and we hear the beautiful words of forgiveness. Our sins are forgiven. We are at peace with God. And Christ, throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, shows us clearly God's love, which tells us, hour after hour, page after page, do not be afraid. Are you facing medical difficulties in your life? They're bound to happen as day by day we grow older. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Are you facing troubles in family life, whether immediate or extended family? Jesus says, do not be afraid. Whatever the situation may be, whether it be in your daily interactions with people, whether it be with things that just keep gnawing at you day after day after day, Jesus keeps saying, do not be afraid. And with sections of scripture such as these, he keeps telling us, keep your focus on him. It's a reminder that we all need and desire, myself included, to keep our focus on Jesus, what he has done, and who he is. If he were just a man that 
craftily knew where the sandbars were, then his death on the cross would count for nothing. And his resurrection from the tomb on Easter would be worthless. It would be nothing to us 2,000 years later. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. True God and true man, whose death counted for all, and by his death our sins, all our sins, all of everybody's sins, are forgiven. And by his resurrection on Easter Sunday, God shows the payment is accepted, paid in full. And we too shall rise on that glorious day. That glorious day when God will gather all to heaven above. Who trust in him as Savior, true God and true man. Until that day when we live our lives here, until God calls us home, or until judgment day comes, if that comes before, Keep your focus on Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.